Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. So if you're shocked to see me up here, I am too. Um, I got a phone call from Chris yesterday at lunchtime saying that he was not feeling well. Uh, And if I wanted to go ahead and jump on up here and do the sermon. Uh, Sure, why not? Let's go. Um, So that was, and then I had to confess. I'm like, uh, man, I haven't been doing my reading this week. That's a good one there, Chris. Uh, And so he's been trying to get me to come up here more often to kind of get me out of my comfort zone and to just encourage me to be up here, to speak, to share, uh, to learn how to really dig into the word and and share with you what God shows me. Uh, And so maybe I should ask Chris for forgiveness that I keep pushing him off. So God got him sick to force me up here to ensure that I actually do what he's actually, what he's been calling me to do. Uh, and so um, I'm going to be just as excited as you guys are to figure out what's going to be going on up here. But uh, it's going to be awesome. So I'm excited uh, to, uh, to talk about and to share um, what the Lord showed me the last 24 hours um, since I have not been preparing my heart for this. So that was another good lesson. Always be prepared, always be ready to kind of give an answer for, for the hope that you have in Yeshua. Uh, and so, um, so that was, that was something good. It reminded me of a story. It's either a story or a joke. Kind of depends on how you respond to it. Um, thank you. <laughs> so in college, these group of guys were wanting to, uh, they're studying for the last final exam and it was an essay exam. And I think if you've been to college, you know that those are annoying, where it's just, oh, I just give me the Scantrons, I do better at that. Um, but the essay exam, and so they studied, they had, and they knew the professor, and they knew the, the, the cycles of what, what essay questions he would give based on the, uh, the class that he gave, the notes that he gave. And so they studied for, for weeks and weeks. This was about 50% of their grade. And then they get to class and they're pumped, they're excited, like, I, doesn't matter if it's A, B, or C, whatever exam that he gives us, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna nail, I'm gonna nail it. I've studied, I know all the ins and outs, I know how he's, I know how he grades, I know stuff like that. And so all of a sudden, they get the pain, they get the exam, and it's none of anything that they've ever studied. And they're shocked, and they're looking at each other. They're going, oh my goodness, this is incredible, this is crazy. What's going on? And he gives the same test to everybody. And all of a sudden there's that one guy in the front that is just writing away. And he's just at it. And he's just going out, going to town. And he's just writing his answers, writing his And then how the heck did this guy, what does he do? How did he what did he know? How does he do it? And so they really had no answer. And so they turned it in, they didn't know what to do. And then the guy went up to the front of the class. The guy talked to the guy in the front of the class and said, hey, listen, do we studied. We thought we knew exactly his, his, the next uh, essay question that he was going to ask. How did you know it was there? How did you know what to study for? He goes, man, I had no clue what it was. I told him I didn't know the answer, but I told him what I did know, and then I started writing all of that. So it's, 
this whole thing of, oh, well, I didn't prepare, but I'll tell you what I do know. I'll tell you what is on my heart. I'll tell you what God has been showing me. And I'm just going to trust that, um, that he's going to breathe on it. Um, and so we're in Parsha Mishpatim. Um, it is uh, the 18th reading in the Torah. Uh, it means judgments or ordinances, kind of depending on what translation that you have. Um, the title comes from the first words of the first verse of the reading, which could literally be translated to say, and these are the judgments which you will be placed before, which will place before them. Uh, and so that's God talking to, to Moses. They just received the Ten Commandments um, in the previous chapter. And then now they're to receive three more chapters of laws, ordinances, instructions, as I like to say. Um, criminal laws damages, torts, laws about sexual ethics, social justice, setting up a judicial system, and a few about serving God. And then God talks about the benefits of keeping these laws. And then at the end, they come into um, the last chapter tells the story of how the people of Israel consented to keep these laws and then entered a covenant relationship with God through a series of rituals conducted by Moses. And so I started reading all this. Um, and then I noticed that the gospel reading this week is out of chapter Mark, is out of the book of Mark, chapter nine, verse 40 and 50. And that's where my heart went. And so as I was looking at that, um, and it says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And I just listened to a teaching about the salt of the earth. Like, okay, God, thank you. You've at least given me some form of direction to go to this morning. And so to continue on, uh, the other forms, the other stories of that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. This is Yeshua talking. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then to continue on in Luke chapter 14, 34 through 35, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, some say some uh, have soil, nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. Did I see here? Yeah, sorry, I'm reading my notes, and then <laughs> it's different up there. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so I was thinking about it as God was giving these laws, these instructions on, on how to live, coming into covenant with one another. Um, Yeshua 
is, is encouraging and, and sharing with those that are listening to him how to stand out in this world. How to allow your presence alone make a difference when you walk into a room. There's something about you. What God was establishing with his people, with these laws, with the Ten Commandments, with the Mishpatim, is a lifestyle that stood out from the rest of the world. And even through, and through the scriptures, as God is sharing, he's like, hey, if you do these things, I will bless you. You'll be a light. And then people will come and they'll want to know who is your God because I see that everything that you touch, everything that you do is blessed. And so Yeshua talks about salt and light. And salt and light affect their envi environment simply by just showing up. And it's interesting how um, just a little bit of salt can change the whole dynamics of food. A little bit of light can change the dynamics of a room. And so in Luke's gospel, Yeshua defines what he means, he says. And let's look at that. If the salt loses its saltness, it's no good, either for the field or the soil or the dunghill. And then this tells you that salt back then was used. What, what salt back then was used for the ancient world? So it was scraped up from the shores of the Dead Sea, which you probably know is about 34% salt in solutions. Now, it's not pure sodium chloride or NAC, you know, NAC. I put NACL, I wanted to sound smart like a science guy or something like that, but table salt. So it's a mixture of various salts. There's all kinds of different salts, and there are one of the, and there, and one of the main ones is potassium chloride, which is called potash, actually. And so, and if you're a gardener, and you know, I had to look this up because I'm not a gardener. I would like to be, so I'm going to learn this, and I'm going to take, I'm going to keep my own notes. But if you are a gardener, you know that every plant needs three kinds of fertilizer. There's phosphate to develop the roots, nitrates to develop the leaves, and potash to develop the flowers and the fruit. And it's interesting that potash, which comes from the Dead Sea, produces the flowers and the fruit of that plants. And of course, a balanced fertilizer will include almost all three of those. So the salt that was scraped up from the Dead Sea was largely used as fertilizer. And it's mainly because of the potash. So when we read the, work, the words of Yeshua in Luke and he mentions the word soil, it tells us what he is thinking of the use of this salt as a fertilizer. And I've always thought of it as just livening up my food a little bit. And never really thought about the fact that, that salt was used as fertilizer. The fertilizer that you put on the soil to make good things grow and to produce fruit. And then he mentioned the word dunghill. This is interesting. The word there is, it's a word for not animal manure, but human. 
So now he's gone in the backyard. So they simply had a heap of dirt at the bottom of the yard. You went and you emptied your bowels at the bottom of the yard. And then right by that was a box of salt. And that came from the Dead Sea. You put a handful of that salt on the dirt that you just used. And in fact, it was used as a disinfectant. So a very simple disinfectant to stop the spread the thing to stop the spread of things that you didn't want to grow. So now we have two totally opposite uses of salt from the Dead Sea. It's to help plants grow the fruit, the vegetables, the things that you want, and it's used as a disinfectant to stop the spread of the things that you don't want to grow. So you got a little bit of both from the same material. Be the salt of the earth. So the growth of good things that you wanted to grow, and it inhabit, so it inhabited the spread of bad things that you didn't want to grow. I just said that. So it's a very vivid picture. And we are to be the salt of the soil. Yeshua is calling us to be the salt. Yeshua always uses very familiar pictures from ordinary life in his examples. He says, you are the salt of the soil. You are the people who will stop bad things growing and spreading, and you will promote the growth of good things that are wanted there. Now that's a vivid picture. You are the salt, not by saying anything and not by doing anything, but by being totally different from your environment. With Yeshua and the Holy Spirit moving in you by showing up, you can dictate and you can, not only say control, but you can highly influence the environment that you walk in. So, but here's the deal. In the kitchen, a sprinkling will do, a sprinkling of a little bit of salt will season the food just right. And that's enough. But for a fertilizer or a disinfectant, you need a considerable amount before the effect shows. So you need handfuls in both cases. So a little sprinkling of salt on the soil will not do a thing. Therefore, the very concept of being salty in society demands a certain proportion of that society being of one accord, being different, being salt. It requires a community of people with one heart, one accord, one purpose to be in this environment, to be in the community. And the simple fact is, if you were to look and see how culture is moving, I think it could be even safe to say that we probably don't have enough salt. It's as simple as that. And that is why you see a lot of social trends going in the wrong way. That's why I have to have conversations with my children that I feel like are probably not appropriate, but I gotta beat, the, I gotta beat culture to it. So in other words, we might win an occasional battle by lobbying, by protesting, but we will lose the war 
while there is an insufficient amount of salt. I guess I can probably say believers, convicted believers, people that love the God of Israel, people that love Yeshua, people that call on him, spend time with him. And you can apply this in any situation. And while you read the papers and decry what's happening in society, we have a responsibility of ourselves in our own, our own circle. So, now here's, oh, say, here's the good news. Well, Yeshua is the good news. He told us when any community or society is 5% salt, I'm going to continue to use the salt theme, the social trends reverse for the better. And it's not by anything that 5% says or does, but it's just by that 5% of people being there. I found it interesting. I remember one time in college, um, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes there's, there's people that are not 21 that drink alcohol there. Um, and I was at a gathering. I was at a house. I was 22 at the time, actually. Um, just sitting there. I was probably watching ESPN while everybody else was playing games or something like that. That, that was kind of my MO. But all I did was just stare. And then a friend of mine just, man, ah, she came up to me. She's like, Jared, I, ah just feel convicted. I don't know why I'm drinking. First of all, I'm like, well, you are 21. It's fine. But if this is a conviction in your own heart, then I'll be happy to talk about it. And it hit me. I didn't say anything. All I did was have a reputation of somebody. She just knew I was involved with FCA. She knew that there was a baseball Bible study that I started and went to. She knew the friends that I hung out with. She knew the conversations that I, used, that what I would have at the tables. And I wasn't out there proselytizing or anything, but it was just living life in a way that was really in alignment with my heart desired. And for some reason, somehow, it convicted somebody. Now, I'm not saying that to lift me up or anything like that. There's been a lot of other, you know, scenarios that would probably, you know, put me in the other spot. But it did make me realize that sometimes just being there with love and with a lot of grace and with a lot of forgiveness and with an open heart to allow somebody to room to speak and talk and give them an opportunity to share there's a lot of power in that. God's working, and he wants to use us. That's how he set this thing up. So, first thing first, there's a quantitative aspect to salt. Sprinkling is no good. We need shovelfuls. We need a lot of us. One heart, one accord, a community of people that desire to see the kingdom of God come here on earth just as it is in heaven. The second aspect, not only the amount, but of distribution. So the distribution of salt is no use if it sits in the box. It has got to be in direct contact with the dirt before it operates. So in other words, it operates by presence, not absence. And unless we actually are in the world, we cannot be the salt of the earth. 
did a study in a factory where there's 5% Christian presence. I wish I could find this study for you because I hate saying that. Hey, there's a study. Well, I'd like to see it. But according to this, just a 5% Christian presence, 5% salt, the language changed without anybody saying anything. Think of your street, your place of work. Don't grumble because you're in direct contact with the dirt. That's precisely where you need to be. That's where the salt needs to be, out in the world. Don't also forget the gathering of fellow believers to continue to encourage, and as iron sharpens iron, to prepare you for moments to be in the world. The desire of God is for us to love and encourage and then be him as we go out and live everyday life. We need salt in our government. We need salt in sports and entertainment. We need salt in the business and education. We need salt in all areas of our culture, actually. The distribution of salt is very, very important. And the more we shrink back and avoid our calling, the less that salt can operate. So we need to step out and see what God wants to do through us. We need to answer a phone call. I knew what Chris wanted when he called me too. Dang it. And say, hey, do you want to, do you want to share? Do you want to, you want to speak? So, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. It can only operate in direct contact with the dirt that salt. The third aspect of salt, and perhaps the most important for us, is the aspect of quality. Salt is in needed a certain amount in a given situation. So it's also needed to be in direct physical contact with the situation, and it's going to be influenced. But thirdly, it must be salty. The quality of your heart must be salty. Yeshua talks about losing salt or, or the salt losing its flavor. So how can sodium chloride lose its salt flavor? The answer is it cannot. I'm trusting somebody that said that, to be honest with you. I've, you eat it and then it's done and you're good. I know there's not enough of it in our house because Elizabeth likes to eat it on everything. But the answer is cannot. It is physically impossible, and yet it must have happened in Yeshua's day because we just read three scriptures that said, don't lose your saltiness. If you lose it, it's over. So he said, if salt has lost its flavor, it's no good for anything. And men would throw it out in the street, which is where they threw all their trash, and it was trampled on underfoot. It was into the dirt. How does salt lose its flavor? Very simply, by ceasing to be, or my bad, not by ceasing to be sodium chloride, but by being adulterated with other substances. A clever salt dealer back in the day would scrape up plenty of sand with the salt from the Dead Sea shores, and so a lot of it was not even salt at all. That's the only way in which salt can lose its saltiness, by having too much other stuff mixed in with it. And then it loses its quality. 
Now, the lesson's obvious. Believers will only influence the world if they're different from it. Somebody said of the church, the lifeboat should be in the sea, but the sea, but when the sea gets in the lifeboat, you're in trouble. So in fact, our real situation is, is not just that we don't have enough salt, but the salt we do have is losing its saltiness by having too much of the world's influence in the church than the church's influence in the world. So now that we know how salt can lose its flavor, we read what Yeshua said. If it does, all it will do is produce contempt. And per the words of Yeshua, once you lose the saltiness, you can never get it back. So, what is saltness? Well, we have to go back to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. Right before he talks about being the salt of the earth, he gives us the instructions of what it means to be salt. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mount on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so, they for so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. He's kind of giving you a warning as well, too. Say, hey, when you become these things, when you become an influencer of a room, when you become somebody that has authority because of the spirit that lives within you, you're going to ruffle some feathers, and some people aren't going to like it. So take that as a blessing. And then he talks about light. So what about light? Light also has its negative and positive aspects. So its negative aspect to it is to expose bad things and bad ways to people when they show up. Light is, can ex expose. You know, that's not always a popular thing to do either. Um, it also has a positive function in exhibiting the right way, the better way. So it's a negative aspect is to show up in bad ways, and the positive aspect is to exhibit a better way. I think I confused myself when I just read my own notes there. But I think we all get it, though. When you turn the lights on, you can actually see. Some people uh, don't appreciate that, as there's areas of their life that they don't want people to see. But being the light of the world, as, as Yeshua has called us to be, in fact, he said, I am the light of the world. So neither of those things are really popular, actually. Nobody likes being held accountable. A lot of people don't. But it is definitely necessary in a loving way. So again, now this is the only thing Yeshua ever said about himself and his disciples. 
He said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He never said, I am the salt of the earth. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But it comes in a fascinating context in the book of John, chapter 8, 1 through 11, the woman taken in adultery. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This, they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Yeshua bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Yeshua was left alone and the woman standing before him. Yeshua stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Yeshua said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So they brought her to Yeshua, knowing that the law of Moses said that she must be stoned, and knowing that Yeshua, if he said stone her, would go against the Roman law, which forbade execution by Jews. Or, if he said don't stone her, then he was going against the law of Moses. In other words, they tried to trap him between the law of Rome and the law of Moses. It is perfectly true that the law of Moses said that she must be stoned. So what did Yeshua did? do? He wrote with his fingers in the dust. Now, we just read last week the giving of the Ten Commandments. And we know that God wrote on the tablets with his fingers. So there are some scholars that speculate that this was Yeshua's way of saying, I know the author of the law that you speak of. Yeshua reminded them of another law of Moses in Exodus 23, verse 2. So when Yeshua said that he that is without sin, let him throw the first stone, he did not mean you've got to be 100% morally perfect before you can punish anyone. That's how most Gentiles took it. That's how most Christians take it. But you see that that would rule out a lot of the courts. That would rule out a lot of people because no judge is without sin, and we need the judges to make sure that the law is being executed correctly. So Yeshua was requoting the law that said, if you have never committed adultery, you can be a witness in this case. Actually, in 23, verse 2, it says, You shall not fall in with the many who to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. So that's when they began to go away one by one, beginning with the oldest. The young ones tried to brazen it out, but even they had to admit that they couldn't be a witness. So in fact, the witnesses were dismissed on the basis of the law. Then he looked up and he said, where are your accusers? Where are the witnesses? They're all gone. She basically said, yes, they are all gone. Deuteronomy 19, 15 says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. 
only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So Yeshua, now then, another point of the law, said, neither do I condemn you. But he said, don't do it again. I might not be around next time to defend you. Or he said, don't do it again. Take this mercy as an opportunity to improve. Take the love that you've just received through the law that was established by God as an opportunity to offer that forgiveness and grace to somebody else as well and to improve on your life. Second chances. The same law of Moses that the leaders of that time tried to use to condemn this woman, Yeshua used it to sort out the situation and show grace and mercy. In John chapter 8, verse 12, this is after that scenario, after that that scene. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's not what we say, what we do, it's who we are. What he's saying is that woman would never go into that situation if she had followed me because that's a situation of darkness, moral darkness. It's usually kind of how I can get a sense of where I am, what my thoughts are, what my actions are, what my words are. I can kind of gauge where my heart is because out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth will speak and I will act. So we need, above all, to be quality salt and quality light that is totally different from the society in which God has placed us. And what does Yeshua say about being a light unto the world? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In a way, I say show off for God. But yeah, show up and show off. Not because of anything that you've you've done, but because of who God has called you to be and with the faith and belief system that he's working in you to establish his kingdom. Show off your light. Let other people see it. And of course, with all of this, comes a great responsibility in Matthew chapter 5. I think it's 6, whatever the next verse is. 6, there we go. So therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. 
Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's funny, God commands us to not worry. With all this great responsibility, with all this desire say, to, to make a difference, um, there's definitely going to be some chatter in our minds, doubting who we are, doubting what we're supposed to do, and creating, and we create our own worry. Isn't it great that Christians are known for not worrying? Man, that joke felt really bad. <laughs> but how cool would it be if we were known for the fact that we didn't worry? That we were, we just walked in a way that we knew that our God, the God that we served, has, has us and has provi- is providing for us is protecting us and taking care of us. Yeshua has called us to stand out. And in the same way, God established a covenant with Israel. He established instructions, called laws. He established a way to live that was different than the world in which people would take notice and want to know who their God is. And in fact, from all the, from the journey of leaving Egypt to the moment they got to Mount Sinai, they had already created a reputation that a lot of other nations feared because they saw their God work for them. And they saw their God protect them and take care of them. And then once they did that, at the end of this chapter, or at the end of this parshah, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And I ask and I challenge you in this time, what has God spoken to you and what has God shared with you? And is your answer to that yes and amen? And do you trust that even if it is a little bit outside of your comfort zone, that God's got your back? And in fact, he wants to propel you. He wants you to be the light of the world. He wants you to be salt of the earth. He wants you and has called you to represent him here on earth. And he desires for his kingdom to be established using 
you. Um, before Omid comes up here to do the Rosh Hodesh teaching, um, didn't touch much on the actual partial, but if there's any feedback or any, um, is there anything else that you guys would like to say? Um, I just want to say thank you uh, for being obedient. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I know how that feels. And um, it's interesting because you spoke about influence and my best friend and I were talking about that this week um, of the importance of being an influence and, and how sometimes that can be uncomfortable because of who we are. Um, I guess our background or whatever it is you may come into a place and not necessarily completely fit in, but God still wants you there. Um, so thank you for the encouragement mm -hmm. of, you know, what God says to just do what I've asked you to do. So, uh, Jared, I was just thinking when you were talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh -huh. um, that the idea of the covenant of salt, and so I quickly looked it up, and, and um, it, the context is having to do with the Levitical offerings, as well as with the, uh, the, the kingship of, of David forever. So both of them are, both of them are coven, covenants of salt forever. Right. Um, and how that relates to what you talked about, the, the kingdom, of, kingdom of heaven, Amen. and that we're, we're the or can be or supposed to be the salt salt of the of the earth so oh, oh thanks um i love how you were talking about <clears throat> how we need a lot of salt shovelfuls and how that's basically a community of people who are just full of love and forgiveness and and i that's one of the things i love about this place i know we're small right now but we're growing um but i've been doing this a long time and you bring in more people when you have that love as opposed to the judgment and that harshness I mean God is God does judge us and there, there will be judgment but he also loves us so much and that judgment comes from love from a place of love because he wants us to do our best and I just if we love people like that and we love them through everything and forgive them through everything I just that's the kind of community I want to be a part of. So I'm thankful for you guys. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.